It's time for Powell at the Park. One constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Cubs, Sox, all your Chicago baseball news. Dynamite drop in money. Here's your host, Kevin Powell. Hello, friends. Another edition of the Powell at the Park podcast. I am Kevin Powell. Episode number 26. Thank you for tuning in. As a reminder, you can follow me on social media on Twitter at KPowell720. On Instagram, KevinPowell720WGN. And uh, subscribe and do all that stuff that you got to do for podcasts so you get alerts when I post these fresh podcasts, which is not enough. I need to do this more often. I'm hoping to do it every week, but I feel like I say that every podcast and then I don't do it every week. So I apologize for that. But I will start trying to crank these things out on a more regular basis. On this week's episode, Josh Nelson from Sox Machine. If you're a diehard Sox fan and you don't know who Josh Nelson is, uh, you're doing it wrong. He's a uh, He does a podcast, a weekly podcast, Sox Machine. And uh, him and Jay Margulis do some stuff covering the White Sox as well. Josh knows the uh, the Sox very, very well. And uh, there's some Sox news. Luis Roberts stuff. Tim Anderson hitting dingers left and right. Flipping bats left and right. Pissing off some old-time baseball people. Also inspiring some young-time baseball people. Been an interesting couple weeks here. But the first month of the season, about roughly the first month, is in the book. So I wanted to check in uh, with the Sox and Cubs, of course. So Josh Nelson, Tony Andraki. This is like the 50th time he's been on the podcast is only 26 episodes but he somehow has managed to be on 50 different times but uh tony's a good dude i like to get him on because he's um first and foremost very easy to schedule secondly he's very knowledgeable about the chicago cubs so both guys both good dudes both uh couple buddies and i love having him on the podcast let's start with some socks talk we're now joined by josh nelson Follow him on Twitter at SoxMachine underscore Josh. He hosts a weekly podcast about the Chicago White Sox. He is a uh, he's a Sox fan. He covers them well. He's very knowledgeable about the Chicago White Sox. Josh, appreciate you jumping on the podcast again. Of course. As always, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. On the day that Luis Robert gets the bump up to double A, I mean, he was absolutely on a ridiculous pace down in single A. Everybody was expecting this to be... Uh, be done sooner than later, batting four fifty three, eight homers, 24 RBI. I mean, no matter what stat you look at, he was blowing away the competition in just 19 games down in a single A. Your initial reaction to Luis getting called up to Birmingham? Yeah, when I went to visit Winston-Salem, I was there Friday night. Uh, everyone told me it's probably a good thing that he had an issue with his thumb because if he didn't, uh, it sounded like he would have been promoted that Thursday to Birmingham and the White Sox just wanted to see on how his thumb looked and how his swing looked over the weekend. And uh, it didn't look good initially. The game I saw in person, he went 0 for 4 with four strikeouts. Uh, And the next night he went 1 for 5 with another four strikeouts. Uh, But Sunday and Monday, he was right back to being normal. He hit another home run on Monday. Uh, He also had a home run on Sunday as well. And with Birmingham having the day off, uh, they, the White Sox decided this is a great time, so he's going to Birmingham. He'll make his first start on Wednesday against the Chattanooga Lookouts, and I, I think he is going to just continue this toward pace. I really do. I think he is going to excel at Double A just because of the overall talent that we are looking at. It, you know, Kevin, you were in Glendale for spring training. 
And I believe you got a chance to see Robert in action. Mm-hmm. I think he made it pretty clear during spring training that he could play up to the level of his fellow major leaguers. And uh, that's why I think he's going to be just as good in double A. And he's going to continue to force the issue for the White Sox. And how do they want to handle his timeline of getting to Chicago? I wouldn't put it out of reach that we might see him in September. Oh, I wouldn't be that surprised if we, if we see him this year. Look, I don't know if he's going to continue on the pace he was at. Look, he was leading the Carolina League and slugging by 267 points. <laughs> a 267 point advantage on the next closest guy. Again, if you look at any of the statistics, whatever you want to look at, advanced stuff, he was by far the best. I wouldn't be that surprised, Josh. I really wouldn't if, if you know, even if he cools off just a pinch, but if he continues to play this well, um, or at least close to this level, I don't see why the White Sox wouldn't bring him on. Right. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, because of the money, um, because of, you know, Eloy Jimenez, we didn't see him last September. And my counter is it's because of the money. The White Sox didn't pay $56 million to Eloy Jimenez. They just acquired him in a trade for Jose Quintana. The White Sox spent $28 million and gave it to Luis Robert as a bonus and then paid the same amount in taxes to Major League Baseball as they went over their international spending threshold. The White Sox have invested a lot of money in this one particular player. Mm-hmm. And as I, as you know, Kevin, for those that invest a lot of money, they like to see a return on their investment. Uh, and if he, if Robert proves that he's ready for the test and it's not exactly like anyone's blocking him right now in Chicago in center field, there's nobody uh, I, I, blocking I, him in center field. I can assure uh, you that I, I'm trying to be nice here. I know. Um, <laughs> I I see why not. Why not give him a taste in September? And if he can hold his ground for that small sample size, those couple of weeks in September, and he can, obviously the big factor, his health, stay healthy, then we are talking about Luis Robert maybe being the starting center fielder for the Chicago White Sox in 2020, and maybe that's another list or item that Rick Hahn can check off, and he can go address other areas on the field. It's been interesting to watch the roller coaster that already has been the first month of the White Sox season, Josh. Because no you know, because there was a lot of Sox fans who are kind of at that breaking point where they're getting so damn frustrated with some losing. So somebody gets hurt, they go on a losing streak, and then they win three in a row, and Luis Robert gets bumped up to Double A. And you should have seen the optimism on social media. I mean, people were like, "All right, just another day closer to stacking up wins for your Chicago White Sox." <laughs> um, I don't know. What's it been like for you, I guess, this first month? Because between we'll get to Tim Anderson, but between that, between following along in the farm system, Dylan Cease, the Luis Roberts, and uh, obviously there's been some very frustrating moments at the big league level, but there's also been some promising stuff as well. Yeah, and, you know, for the beginning part of this season, the White Sox this year against the Orioles, Royals, and Tigers are going to play 44 games against those three teams. That's more than 25% of their schedule. And I highlight those three teams, Kevin, because these are teams that the White Sox should be beating. The White Sox, with their 25-man roster, have more talent, and they are better than those three teams. And when they started this year, 5-7, and seven, and on that Friday night, they were looking at 5-8 and eight when they were down 8-1 to one to Detroit before their amazing comeback with Tim Anderson walking it off. Uh, that would have been a really sour taste, and it raises a lot of questions of what exactly is going on here. Why isn't this talent playing at the level of expected 
right, of the meeting the expectations. But then all of a sudden, Ronaldo Lopez strikes up 14. Mm-hmm. And Tim Anderson continues to do his thing. And Mikado's continuing to do his thing. And Jose Abreu is now starting uh, to get back on track. And he's had quite the surge. James McCann also looks good, which is a very pleasant surprise. And, yeah, it's very exciting when Dylan Cease has a great start. And Luis Robert gets promoted. And Nick Madrigal starting to hit for a little bit of power, too, as well in Winston-Salem. But when I sat down with you know, with our, my co-host and uh, managing editor of SoxMachine.com, Jim Margulis, I, I call it the notepad test, Kevin. You pull out a notepad and you count all the guys that you expect to be on a contending White Sox team in 2020 and 2021. And I count 12, 12 players. There's 25-man rosters. So where are the other 13 players coming from? And I think that's what I'm looking forward to the rest of the season. I think in April so far, as you mentioned with a roller coaster, I think some players have proven that they're not going to be part of a contending team. And they are getting quite a bit of playing time right now that might be better suited for somebody else, but those prospects aren't quite ready yet. So we're still at this weird moment where we're seeing some really talented prospects and players that the White Sox are to count on to win, but they're still paired with players that are, I don't think are major leaguers. Uh, So I think it's going to continue to be a weird transition through 2019, uh, but maybe the White Sox will have a change of heart and maybe the next prospect that we will see in Chicago will be Dylan Cease to help out with the starting rotation. What did you think of Eloy before he got hurt? Uh, I think offensively, I was a bit surprised that so many pitchers attacked him the way that they did, throwing him mostly sliders, almost kind of treating him like he was in his prime Miguel Cabrera. Uh, it was like watching Javi Baez get pitched. He was lowing away breaking balls over and over and over. Right. And you know what? That's That's a good test. That's a good learning experience for him. Defensively, I've never seen him this bad. He he was never this bad in Birmingham and in Charlotte. Like, he would make the ordinary plays. Sometimes he would surprise you with a diving catch. Um, But he never looked this bad in Chicago. So I'm not quite sure what's going on defensively. And it is a disappointing, obviously, injury with a high ankle sprain. I'm not expecting to see him until June. And that's just me trying to be realistic when it comes to sprained ankles that he may need some extended time, more than two weeks on the injured list to fully heal up. But when he comes back, I wonder, Kevin, and maybe I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Does it make more sense to give him at-bats as the DH? And how do you handle that rotation, right, with Jose Abreu, Yonder Alonso, and Elo Jimenez? And, you know, who has to sit on the bench? Because I think those are three quality major leaguers. Uh, the issue is, I don't know how much you want Eloy to be running around on that, that ankle well, I mean, for the rest of the year. Yeah, I mean, I guess my answer would be, I would say don't let him play if he can't play the field, if you're all that worried about it. But you, you don't put this much stock into Eloy Jimenez to be a designated hitter. So I would just say if if you don't feel comfortable with him playing defense, don't play him at all and make sure he's 100%. I mean if if you if he, if you're going to put him out there, they're going to believe he is 100%, right? At this point of the season and this point of the rebuild. So if you put him out there at 100% and you're worried about him re-injuring his ankle, how is that any different than starting him in left field next year? And you make a good point. And 
Yeah, I'll be interested to see Eloy what the, the White Sox handle it. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, Eloy Jimenez can't be the DH of the future here. You know what I mean? I mean, you got to find a little bit more value out of out of him. And this is the time. Look, if you want a guy to suck and develop, <laughs> this is the time to do it. So, <laughs> I mean, don't put him out there if he's not 100%. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, though, if it's not until uh, till June until we see him. Uh, Dylan Cease, give me an over-under. When do you think he's going to be up? Uh, it really depends on how Ivan Nova pitches, right? Or if Manny Benuelos returns back to earth yeah. uh, from the fifth starter spot. Uh, let's say after the All-Star game. So after mid-July. And if the White Sox can find maybe a suitor for Ivan Nova, yeah, maybe sometime in July. I think that is realistic. I got a chance to talk to Dylan Cease on Saturday down in Charlotte. And he understands that his last two starts weren't very sharp at all, but he's so cerebral, Kevin. He really understands as far as his arsenal and his mechanics. And mm-hmm. what he told me was that the adjustment he was attempting to make uh, in his next start was throw his changeup and curveball harder. He wanted to get a couple of more miles per hour on those two pitches because he felt that if he threw it harder, he would get sharper action. And as we're recording this, he had already struck out eight batters through four innings. Mm -hmm. And uh, it does look good. The pitches look a lot better. Uh, And he's executing mostly uh, against a lot of hitters for the Gwinnett Stripers, which are part of the Atlanta Braves system. Uh, So there's some really talented hitters in that lineup that Dylan Cease is making look foolish. So I think ultimately, if you just did it by talent alone, he should be in the starting rotation already. Uh, I think the White Sox are going to conserve innings for him. Even if he does join the White Sox, I never expect him to throw more than six innings in a start as they, uh, as he's still recovering from his Tommy John or he had Tommy John a few years ago. So the White Sox just want to make sure that they're saving enough bullets uh, when the games really matter and they're trying to win a division that Dylan Cease is 100% ready to go and can go 100% in each and every start. But, To circle back to your question, uh, I'm going to say shortly after the All-Star game, maybe even quicker, if they can find a way to move Ivan Nova. Um, You mentioned the six-inning mark for Dylan Cease. Here's his final line, Josh, as we recorded this. He just just wrapped up six innings, five hits, two earned runs, one walk, 11 strikeouts on 80... (laughs) On 80 pitches, 58 of them for strikes. So you kind of you just about nailed it there. They're watching the inning counts and the pitch total as well. So um, he's looking pretty damn good this year. Okay, final. I mean, f- yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. Fugu. I was going to say that's why you have to laugh when you just read those numbers. Yeah. 11 strikeouts in six innings. Right. I mean, that's just incredibly impressive. Guy's a stud. Um, Okay, we got to at least address Tim Anderson in the the April he's had. I mean, he's clearly the front runner for AL Player of the Month, well deserved. Um, six six homers, he has the stolen bases. Every really all the stats um, that are deserving of that award, and he's just been so fun. I turn on MLB Network, and it's like every day it's talk about Tim Anderson. What have you seen from him? And I guess uh, final comments on this first month and Tim Anderson here. Yeah, with him, Anderson, the adjustment that he has made and the work that he's put in the offseason is really paying off. I mean, he has said a number of times that the biggest adjustment for him is waiting back and staying back, especially against breaking pitches. And I go back to that Friday night win against the Detroit Tigers where he walked it off, Kevin. That was a first pitch of the bat, and it was a hanging slider in the zone. And I believe that last year Tim Anderson would have watched that pitch go for a strike because he's looking for fastball. 
but he's so confident at the moment in his ability to make great contact against off-speed and sliders that he's going to attack those pitches. And we saw it even in their win against Baltimore Monday in his two-run homer. That was a fat changeup that just hung up in the zone, mm-hmm. and he has so much confidence that he just crushes that pitch for home runs. How are pitchers going to attack him in May and in the following months? I think they're going to start attacking him with high velocity, trying to get the fastball around belt high to letter high and see if they can get him to start chasing. Because the thing about breaking pitches and changeups and such is that they really aim to be in the lower part of the zone. And Anderson's able to reach those pitches. So will pitchers counter now with high heat? That's what I'm going to be looking at. But right now, Tim Anderson looks fabulous. And uh, I even said this when I made a TV appearance on WGN over the weekend. But I think right now, Tim Anderson and Yohan Mikata are all-star worthy. And the White Sox left side of the infield could be in Cleveland this year for the all-star game if McCott and Anderson continue their paces. I'm with you. They've been fun to watch. Um, you were at dog night, I saw? With your- yeah, <laughs> took, took my took my dog Frankie to his first White Sox game. Great experience. If you own a dog, I highly recommend going to dog night. It was an absolute blast. So it's not a pain in the ass uh, bringing your dog <laughs> to a ballpark? <laughs> you had to bring a friend. So I brought... I brought my girlfriend's dad, Roy, uh, so he, I brought Grandpa along, and uh, it made it a lot easier. Yeah, but if you try to go by yourself, uh, I wish you the best of luck. It's like bringing a kid by yourself to go to a baseball game. Right. Uh, Need so a little help? Definitely bring a friend. I got you. You get anything good to eat? Uh, well, I mean, he loves hot dogs. So the dog or uh, your or your father? The dog does. <laughs> so I Load. I gave Frank a little treat. I gave him like a quarter of a hot dog, and he had the best time. So there you go. it was a lot of fun. All right, my man. That's Josh Nelson at Sox Machine underscore Josh for all things White Sox. He's a weekly podcast and all sorts of good White Sox nuggets. Um, follow him on social. Check out his, his podcast, and uh, he and Jim Margulis do a great job following along the the White Sox rebuild. Uh, Josh, thanks for jumping on man appreciate it absolutely thank you again for having me we now welcome back to the podcast for like the 50th time tony's my go-to cubs guy when i want to talk cubs i go to tony andraki nbc sports chicago follow him on twitter at tony andraki 23 how you doing man good how's it going it's going good. I kind of want to recap the first month of the Cubs season, but there's plenty of uh, Cubs news as we record this this Tuesday out of Seattle. The Cubs announcing Addison Russell will be optioned down to Iowa uh, later on in this week, and he's expected to spend a few more weeks there. So it seems like the Cubs are giving him kind of a full spring training treatment here as he works his way back. To me, it's one, yeah, that's probably one of the reasons, but two, they also, I'm sure they're not exactly sure what they want to do yet with Russell. What were your, what was your takeaway from the uh, Addison Russell news that he will be optioned down to Iowa? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think uh, it's a few different factors. One, I think it's interesting, but also good that they're jumping out in front of this right now. I mean, here, you know, on Tuesday, and there's no more waiting or, you know, anything else. Uh, it, leading into Friday when he was potentially going to be active for the Cubs game. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, that's interesting. But then the fact that Theo said last week, he kind of teased this move saying that seven games is not much to, to simulate a full spring training. 
So he, he also said that, you know, it, there's no guarantee Russell's going to be back when first, you know, coming off the uh, the restricted list or any of that. And really, I mean, from a Cubs perspective, like, why would they need him right now? They don't. They're right. playing well. Javi's playing fantastic baseball at shortstop, you know, particularly defensively. Uh, so there's no need or reason or desire for them to move him around. And then from the other aspect of, you know, who else goes down? I mean, Mark Zagunas hasn't played a ton, but he certainly doesn't hasn't done anything to deserve, you know, going down to the minor leagues. And there's no way they're sending David Bodie down with the way he's been playing and uh, the fact that, you know, he just signed a big contract extension and stuff too. So, um, yeah, it just doesn't, you know, there's not even a baseball fit for Addison Russell right now on this team. So I, I like the move. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think the Cubs are doing a good thing by, you know, kind of getting out in front of this uh, a couple of, instead of a couple of days of turmoil or, or questions about it. Yeah, and you never know with injuries. So Addison Russell staying down there, they could, the Cubs can continue to sell it as basically extended spring training for Addison Russell while they kind of figure out mm-hmm. personnel and playing time. So if something does happen, they can bring up Russell. If nothing happens and everybody continues to win and play well, then what? I mean, do you think they would they would try to move on from Russell? Even if Russell was playing well down in Iowa, whether it would be trading him or I guess any other way. I mean, do you think Addison Russell for sure will be back playing for the Cubs? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, if you had asked me, you know, even a couple hours ago, I would have said, yeah. And, um, you know, just in general, I always thought that he would. Um, I still do think that he is. But, you know, this does cast a little bit of doubt on it. And, and you're right, because this gives them a good opportunity, gives them, the Cubs, a good opportunity to kind of showcase Russell and trade him. Um, but I still think that that would be a little bit hollow. Or not not even a little bit. I do think that that would be hollow if the Cubs traded him without, you know, giving him like a chance to come back at the big league level after all that they've said that, you know, Theo has been the most outspoken, but Ricketts and, and Jed Hoyer as well, um, they they want to support him and, you know, they want to help him through this whole process. And then, you know, for to just like trade him, I don't know, that just seems a little weird. And it would seem to make a lot of their words that they said hollow if they just were trying to market him down in AAA to trade him. Yeah. So, but yeah, you're right. I mean, injury wise, like Javi gets banged up all the time, the way he plays, that's natural. So even if it's a situation where he has to miss a game or two, or, you know, he takes a fastball off the wrist and he's out for a weekend or something like that, then yeah, there would absolutely be room for the Cubs to, to call Russell up to the big leagues. But right now they just don't need to, um, but, you know, in a sense, in just a baseball sense, it's nice for them to have that kind of depth down there. Yeah, I hate to be the pessimist here, but look, if Javi Baez was injured right now, is there any doubt Addison Russell would be getting called up? You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't it, think there's any doubt. Yeah, I think he would absolutely be up. So that's why I, I guess that's just the reason. I hear where you're coming from. I guess this is the reason why I'm... I'm not completely sold on him returning yet, and I don't necessarily know if it would be such a bad look if they did trade him because they could just say, we feel like we have enough at the major league level right now between Bodie. I know Zobers hasn't gotten off to a great start of the plate, and who knows how much more playing time he has in his career, but you know, I think it just does come down to, to winning games and, and the talent that you have on your team. Yeah, I agree. I does. And right now, I mean, they need Addison Russell's talent. Uh, will they down the stretch? I Honestly, probably mm-hmm. just the, the way seasons go. And, you know, if a guy like Ben Zobrist or Daniel Scalso go on the 
disabled list. I mean, actually, even especially Descalso, given that he started, I think, more than twice as many games at second base than the next closest guy. Um, then, yeah, I mean, you know, Russell may come up, and since he's going to be playing a little second base in Iowa, then maybe he plays a little bit second base in Chicago. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I agree all around. Um, I still believe that he will be a part of this team, but, um, you know, maybe not until June or July or even after. You know, I remember back in uh, Mesa, you and I were watching Chris Bryant take batting practice one of the days, and I, w- I think both of us agreed that we were expecting big things from Bryant considering the injuries last year and the down year, and he seemed determined and all those sorts of things. He still doesn't f- look completely comfortable yet. Although he has homered, and he did homer in two of the three games in Arizona. He's reached base safely in 10 straight games. Uh, Tony and I recording this on, on Tuesday. So um, there were some signs that he's kind of turning the corner, but he still just doesn't look like that KB that we you know, became so used to seeing in such an early part of his career. But what have you seen from Bryant? Have you seen some glimpses that he is ready to turn it back on? Yeah, I definitely have. And the two home runs in the series, as you mentioned, was actually a big reason why as well. The, the last time he had hit two home runs in a series against the team was the first week of May last year. So you're talking almost a calendar year, and that was a week or so before he had hurt his shoulder. So this is the first time since that shoulder injury that we've seen him you go yard twice in a series. And you know the, the first one was positive in the sense that he turned on a breaking ball from Robbie Ray, but still he turned on one and, you know, hit it 420 feet or whatever to left center. And then the second one was a fastball that he shot to right center. So, um, you know, that's all encouraging all the way around. Um, and then also the fact that, uh, you know, I've said this a couple of times on social media and stuff too, but I believe that one of the biggest at-bats in the last homestand for Bryant was he battled, uh, I think it was actually against Walker Bueller. I can't remember specifically um, who was against now, but he was down 0-2 um, against the Dodgers in account, and he battled back and walked. And we, we used to see that a ton from Chris Bryant. That was a regular occurrence. And to me, that shows – I can't remember the last time I've seen that. It's been a bit, maybe since last season. But uh, that shows that he really has a good understanding of where the strike zone is right now, and, and he's seeing the ball really well. So I think uh, he is about to break out and – You know, this weekend was probably just the the tip of that. Speaking of breaking out, Tyler Chatwood has remained determined to show the Cubs his worth (laughs) after a disastrous first season. And damn, he looked good in Arizona. He was hitting 97-98 on the gun and striking guys out when they really, really needed him. Yeah, I mean, he really does look determined. It's a really cool redemption story that he's had all year. Uh, You know, really starting with that spot start that – if you looked on social media, and I'd be lying if I, you know, said myself I didn't have the same kind of reactions. That was like, why are the Cubs starting Tyler Chatwood? And oh, here's <laughs> going to be, you know, a four-hour game, and and on Easter Sunday, and so on. And yet, you know, he was phenomenal, and that was the Cubs' quickest game of the year by far, actually. And uh, and he's just been incredible since. Yeah. What? So that's baseball for you, because I remember all of us were yeah. like, chat with son of a, we're going to be at Wrigley all day on Easter. And it was like, it was two yeah. hours and 40 minutes or something. Yeah, it's nuts. And that was even, you know, it would have only been like two hours and 20 minutes if uh, Pedro Strope didn't blow that save. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was, it really was nuts. And that, I mean, you know, scoring the game winning run, the double and coming in with bases loaded on this past Sunday. Uh, to you know, like that's not exactly what the situation you would have ever thought Tyler Chatwood would be in. Is a base is loaded, 
uh, two-out situation where the tying, or I'm sorry, the game-winning run is on third base in extra innings, and he immediately goes, you know, throws a first pitch ball, and everybody's like, "Here we go again." Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, he dials it up to 98 on the gun and ends up striking the guy out. So, I, it really, he's just defied uh, every storyline that every fan had on him. All right, well, as we, we continue to bounce around just all random Cubs stuff here as we cover kind of the first month of the season, uh, Brandon Morrow it needed an ejection in his elbow, and the Cubs say he's not even going to throw a ball for another two to three weeks. Can they even count on him returning this season? I mean, what's the deal there? Uh, can they count on him? No, I, I don't think they can, and I don't think they will count on him per se. Uh, they it Really, nothing has changed because this is what they always – kind of thought with Brandon Morrow. This is, uh, at least going into this season, I mean, they knew that they couldn't necessarily count on him for anything, just given his injury history and given the way that he has struggled to rebound from, you know, what was a forearm bone bruise and then ended up a debridement procedure to clean up inflammation and stuff in his elbow in November. And the fact that he's still not recovering properly from that, even from bullpen sessions, he hasn't even escalated to, to facing any live hitters, whether a stimulated game or in a rehab game, let alone at like, you know, a triple A game or a big league game. So um, yeah, at this point, obviously the Cubs cannot count on Brandon Morrow for anything. So if he is able to somehow make it back, then that would be some sort of bonus here for this team. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's really it's not looking promising for Brandon Morrow to ever throw a pitch again for the Cubs, and particularly this season. Um, but then again, you know, stranger things have happened. But I guess honestly, at this rate, the best case scenario would be maybe the beginning of the second half he would be available and even then seems pretty iffy given where he's at well most agree joe madden's on the hot seat tony i don't know if you believe in that but what have you noticed because you're around the team so often from joe i guess just his demeanor the way he talks to the media the way he's approaching this year compared to past what have you noticed from joe as he enters this lame duck year yeah you know i haven't noticed uh a ton different and i mean that in a good way i it's kind of the same old joe and most facets. I know the main area that we see that's different is, you know, he talks about it, uh, the whole lineup thing, predicting, or I'm sorry, communicating the lineup like a full series in advance. And he's talked about that. And that came to a head this weekend in Arizona when Ben Zobis came to him and said, you know, Hey, I, I know I'm in the lineup for Sunday, but David Booty deserves a spot here. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. So, um, you know, I think that that's a good sign for Joe, and it shows the trust that, that his players have in him, but it also shows, you know, a good um, an ability to adjust with him and be flexible, which is exactly what he and any baseball manager needs. So I agree that he is on the hot seat, just that's the nature of it. You know, I mean, he's working on a one-year deal, basically, and he does not have a contract after this year, so of course he's on the hot seat, but... You know, he's, he did a fantastic job last year managing. In my opinion, 2018 was his best season with the Cubs as a manager. And this year started off pretty good as well because what they needed from him after their 2-7 and seven start on that first road trip, what they needed in general was a sense of calm and a confidence and a reminder of who they are. And that's exactly what he provided to them. He never panicked. He never got frustrated, save for that one, you know, kind of funny TV moment uh, in the Saturday game in Milwaukee where, you know, he was saying, I'm so tired of this bleep, uh, which was pretty funny. And he even laughed and joked about it and stuff afterwards. But just in general, it's the same old Joe and all of his strengths have already been shown here in the first month. And, and they've proven that this is exactly what the Cubs need.
He's Tony Andracki. He covers the Cubs for NBC Sports Chicago. Follow him on Twitter at Tony Andracki23. Tony, appreciate you jumping on. Any final thoughts on the Cubs' first month or so? No, I mean, I can't believe it's only been a month. It feels like with so much going on that uh, it's already, we're already halfway through the season. All right, my man. Appreciate you jumping on, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, cool. Thanks, dude. All right, that's going to do it for episode number 26 of the Pollo at the Park podcast. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. And again, be sure to follow me on Twitter at kpowell720, on Instagram, kevinpowell720wgn. And you can hear me every afternoon, weekdays, 3 to 7, with Rokan and Anna DeBlantes. Thanks again. Appreciate you listening. Have a great day.